I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored by You may have done what they said you did, but they are magnificent, marvelous. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are, succeeded in you as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. Love on a mission in a world where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. We have been doing a series on emotions. We've already covered the emotion of anger. We've covered the emotion of fear. And today we're going to be talking about sadness. And um, sadness is something that I'm very, very familiar with being in tune to is the emotion of sadness, especially in other people. It's just something that's intricately part of my story and who I am. I'm very, very um, able to hone in on somebody when they're going through emotional pain. I could be at a party and not be thinking about it at all and kind of scan through a crowd of 40 people and I'll be able to find that one or two that are in emotional turmoil to the point where other people don't necessarily notice. It's not something that is written all over their face. It's just something that I've really learned over time and through experience and through the way that I'm motivated to pay attention to. And there's nothing that I want more than for people to be out of emotional pain. It has been my passion in life to do whatever I can to make sure that somebody is able to move through that pain and that sadness into another emotion that is positive. I remember one time my husband joked with me because it was many, many years ago and I looked out the window and um, the garbage man, that's what we used to call them years ago, um, but the garbage man uh, was there early on a Saturday morning, maybe seven o'clock in the morning picking up the garbage. And I looked out and I, I was so fixed on this man's face and my husband said, what are you looking at? And I said, there's something that's not right with the garbage man. And he said, you know what's not right? It's 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and he's collecting garbage. What do you think is wrong with him? And so we laugh about that years later, but that's not what was going on with the garbage man, okay? I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wasn't right. And um, so I've taken some uh, pot shots from others about that story, but it is the reality of who I am. And to go back to a more serious story, when I was a, a little girl, probably about nine years old, um, my brother had been having some issues with my father. They had a very tumultuous relationship, and my dad was pretty hard on my brother, and um, he had run away several times, actually. But this one particular time, I was playing in the yard, and I remember looking out of our backyard, which faced a side road, and I remember looking out and seeing this image of a young man walking up towards the house, and I went and I looked and I was not able to make out a face until I waited. And as this image got closer, I was aware of the fact that this was my brother, probably about 17 years old, wearing this old army jacket and a backpack um, that he was bringing along with him. And he had his hair really, really long and, you know, he was unkempt and there were tears just pouring down his face coming home and you had to know that that must have been a lot of emotional pain when you run away and you're crying when you're coming home that something was not right with him and that image was in my mind for so long and I realized that 
for many, many years after that, that this is what motivated me to really get into the field of counseling, not just that particular day or just that particular relationship, but in general, having that mystery of why was my brother crying and why was he in emotional pain at 17 years old? That's a young age to be in emotional pain and um, to try to get to the bottom of that mystery. And it's been something that has catapulted me forward into this field of social service and pastoral care and even into this podcast. And I even think about the fact that you know, when I did a lot of pastoral care, there were hospital visits that went along with my role and responsibility. And I wasn't a big fan of going to the hospitals, but I would. Um, and I think the reason why I wasn't a big fan was because I wasn't motivated by the physical ailments, by the medical conditions. That wasn't something that motivated me like, oh, let me go and you know, bring this person chicken soup or, you know, give this person a, a hand massage or, you know, find out what's going on with this medical condition. It was never that that motivated me. If I was going to go and see somebody that was diagnosed with cancer and they were in the hospital, what I wanted to know is how are you feeling about having cancer? What are you thinking about having cancer? How can I take away your emotional pain around your diagnosis, not the diagnosis itself. And I had just had to realize that there wasn't anything wrong with me in that regard. Um, I just wasn't geared to be somebody that wanted to be in the hospitals all the time. Um, it, it actually, part of it kind of, you know, was a little bit of a, a gross situation, you know, to be in that, that scenario where there were bodily fluids and where there were all sorts of things going on. And I just, it was hard. It repelled me a little bit, but the emotional turmoil, that's what drew me in. And that's how I was motivated and am motivated to help people. And so whenever I see people in pain, people who are offended, people who feel ignored, this is what motivates me to want to be able to come around um, those people directly or indirectly and to figure out a way for them to come to a place of fulfillment in their lives and to be able to have joy and laughter um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think about Jesus and how Jesus, when he was moving about through the crowds and in his journey on the earth, it said that he was moved by his compassion, that the compassion for other people moved him. And so I feel as though we all have some compassion within us. It may not manifest in the same way, but when it comes to sadness, I feel moved by compassion. And I know especially that God is moved by compassion. He doesn't want us to be sad. In fact, there's a scripture that says that a broken and contrite spirit, he won't despise, which means that when we're sad and when we're broken, he's never going to be like, get away from me. Like, you know, you need to suck it up. You need to get out of that funk that you're in. It says that it's a acceptable sacrifice to him that he's going to take you in take me in right where we are in our brokenness and that's going to be something that he's going to connect with us over and so that's what's important for you to know because in a lot of places people kind of want us to you know suck it up man up you know get over it um get past it and the truth of the matter is is that grief and sorrow is a very valued emotion when it comes to God and, and just in general. So um, as time has gone on, I have had to mature a lot in this area with this compassion that I've had for others. When I first started out in the field, 
I was very compassionate. That hasn't changed. But I also didn't know how to deal with that. And I remember early on being a social worker at 23 years old, I mean, very, very young and inexperienced. I remember that I would call out sick about once a month in my job. And it wasn't because I was just, oh, I want to take the day and go lay out in the sun. I literally felt sick at least once a month. And I would just stay home and I would rest and sleep and I would be fine for the next day. So I knew that it wasn't something that was really medical, that it was a psychological thing. And I think it's because I was the one who worked so hard to try to take away the pain in other people rather than understanding a little bit more about the components of how people can get out of their own emotional pain. Um, I would also be more codependent than I am now. I, I, I would act as if I was the one that had to fix everything. So if a female teenage client came into the room and, you know, they were upset because they didn't have any clothes and their mom didn't care enough to drop them off their clothes when they were brought to this residential treatment center, I would feel like, okay, I have to call the parents. I might have to go drive down to the city and pick up their clothes. I might have to physically, you know, I, 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 that it was on me to have to take away that pain. I could see that they're in pain, but my solution was that I was going to be the one to take away this pain. And that's called codependency. And that is going to wipe a person out. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we don't have the ability in our hands to take away the pain of other people, but we can help and assist to bring them to another place um, in their lives where they can have more joy. And so I would get caught up in that a lot. And also, too, I would also get sad. I would see people who were sad, and then it would make me sad. I would get caught up in it because then now I'm mourning over this, too. So now we have two people not just one, but two people that are crying over a situation or feeling down. And I realized that I wasn't much help. I wasn't very helpful when I was in that situation. And so I remember hearing about Romans 12 and eight, and it's about the motivational gifts, how we're motivated as people. Are we motivated to give gifts to people? Are we motivated to be leaders? Are we motivated by mercy, which is definitely a main motivational gift in me. And Romans 12 and 8 says, he who shows mercy, let them do it cheerfully. And I remember hearing a teaching on that. And she was saying that that scripture stood out in her mind because when she read it, she was like, wait a minute, we're showing mercy and we're doing it cheerfully. And she got the revelation that, yes, because if somebody is sad, what do they need? They need joy. So if you know they're sad, bring mercy, but do it in a cheerful way. And so it's, it started changing my strategy a bit, changing the way that I approached it rather than wanting to fix things or rather than becoming really down and out by the sadness of others, I began to realize that I have to approach this differently. If I want to help people get out of physical pain, then I'm going to send them to a doctor. I'm going to, you know, pray for their bodies. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. If I'm going to help them get out of emotional pain, there are things that they need to do in order to get to that place. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. And the other thing too, that I realized is that truth is what brings freedom. So many, many times when people are in emotional turmoil, it's because, not always, but it's because there is truth that they need to face, 
truth that they need to accept. And when they accept it, they're going to go through that mourning process, but then they're going to get to the other side of it. You know, and, and I remember a, a, a prophet said a long, long time ago, he said, truth will set you free, but it's going to make you miserable first. And I found that to be really, really um, uh, an impactful statement because sometimes we have to look at truth that's going to make us a little bit miserable, a little bit sad, and then eventually it's going to set us free. And so um, it's important to know that when you would think that giving somebody a tissue is going to be the thing that's going to bring them out of emotional pain, sometimes it's speaking a statement of truth, and that truth will catapult them into a place of recovery. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to mention is that there's different components of sadness, okay? So first of all, emotions, number one, need to be acknowledged, right? So we have heard this through the beginnings of this season, and I've repeated it all the way through, and I think that it's important that we say it and hear it again, that emotions need to be acknowledged no matter the situation, whether you're male or female or a person in transition, old or young, rich or poor, leader or line worker, sadness is real. I remember when I would go on some home visits as a social worker, there were times when uh, my clients, the teenagers, would cry and uh, every once in a while, their mom or relative would say, I don't want to see those crocodile tears. And I know that a lot of people have heard that. And, and what does that mean? That means they're fake, right? You know, you're just bringing fake tears out into the atmosphere, like just suck them back in. You know, I'm not going to deal with that. And the truth is, is that tears are real. Sadness is real. It is an emotion to be acknowledged. And it doesn't make us weak. It doesn't make us dramatic. It doesn't make us somebody who just wants attention. When someone is dealing with emotional turmoil, it's a very real thing, and it needs to be valued and understood. It needs to be something that we are able to give credence to because it's very important. The second aspect of sadness is that um, there is a lot of things that were laid out in um, the Psalms uh, because of David, and we're going to get into David a little bit. We're going to hear a little bit about who he was, but I want to read you a psalm. And these psalms were sung, just so you know, this was a song, right? And I want to read this to you from Psalm 42, and it's going to have a lot of layers in it that's going to describe what sadness is really all about. So the first thing is, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
I say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So that is Psalm 42. So what is that saying? First of all, it's saying that sadness can be compared to emotional dehydration. When it says, as a deer pants for streams of water, I mean, just imagine a deer walking through a desert or a deer when it's the winter time and all of the streams are icy and um, there's just no food that's out there. Like they literally are just walking through, trying, trying, trying to find some sort of water source. That's what it's like when we have a sadness because ultimately God is the one that is going to bring the greatest fulfillment in our lives. There's not one thing that can possibly happen around us circumstantially that is going to make us happier than the way God can make us when we are really, really honed into him because he is the one who created us. He is our creator. He is the one that knows the direction by which we're going in our lives. He is the one that has the perfect will for our lives. So when we try to find happiness outside of him, we're going to be devoid of that. And so it's extremely important for us to pay attention to the fact that sadness is like dehydration. That's why we, we feel so wiped out when we're sad. The other aspect is what must this person have done wrong? That's the accusation that can come from the outside. When people are going through prolonged sadness, people will say, oh, they must have done something wrong. Where is your God? Why has your God left you? Why has he not been there? You're sad over X, Y, and Z. It must be because God didn't come through. And those are some of the things that only add to the sadness because first you're sad about the circumstance and secondly, now you're sad because you feel abandoned by the God of the universe. And so that's a big part of what goes on when we're sad, our perception. And I'm going to say that again, our perception, because our perception actually matters more than the truth when we're in those situations, because our perception is what's driving our emotions, how we see our situation and not just what the situation is. The other aspect is that it says our tears have been our food. And that's what it's like, you know, when people are depressed, it affects their eating. It affects their ability to eat normally, right? Because the sadness then overtakes even the basic things like eating or sleeping. It becomes something that, um, that disallows a person from being, being able to have those regular things in their lives. It also says that the bones ache. Did you hear the uh, phrase depression hurts, right? The commercials that come out, depression hurts. That's the truth, right? When people are sad, it can actually cause an aching in people's bones. It can have a physical impact. And this is all being laid out right here in this psalm. Bet you never thought that you could find that in a psalm, right? Um, God is the only one that can fill this void. We have to deal with other people's perceptions. Where is God? How did we contribute to our present situation? Um, all of those things are something that can help us or hurt us to move through our sadness. Also, we're dealing with our own perception. Like I said, God, you used to protect me. That's basically what David is saying. He's saying there used to be a time when you would protect me. 
You know, what's up with that now, God? Why has that changed? Um, did you forget about me? I mean, these are the things that David is saying. Do you love others more than me? I'm telling you, I know this has come up in other podcasts, but I'm telling you favoritism is one of the, the most demonic things that people attach to. They're constantly, constantly accusing God of favoring others over themselves. And I can't say it enough that God doesn't have any favorites, or let's put it this way, we're all his favorites. We're all the apple of his eye. He doesn't love me more than he loves you or your neighbor or friend or whatever the case may be. It might look like that at times, but his love for you is complete. It's complete. And so it's really important to understand that you may have been favored or been on the other side of being favored in your families, at work, or whatever the situation, but it's not coming from God. That is not the God that I know and that I have experienced. Um, the other thing is, why so downcast, oh my soul? Why? What is that saying? It's saying, I'm sad and I don't know why. And there are times when that can be the case. When we can wake up in the morning and we can feel sad and we have no idea why. That's what depression can be like at times. And I'm just talking about situational depression, right? Not, we'll get into the mental health thing in a little bit. But I actually have a nephew and, um, and he's such a precious, precious now man of God. He's probably like a whole foot taller than me. But um, he, when he was a little boy, I used to sing this song to him um, all the time. Why so downcast, oh my soul. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it comes from this psalm. And, um, and he used to just pretend like he didn't hear me singing it or he would laugh or he'd close his ears like he hated it. And he's gone through a lot in his life. He's had a lot of things that he's had to deal with, mostly medical issues. And I, I, now I know why God wanted that song to be sung over him when he was a little boy, because he was going to have a lot of those days where he was downcast and he didn't know why. And God wanted him to know that you can bless the Lord, oh, your soul, right? And put your hope in God and that God was going to come through and will come through in his life. So let's just take a look at um, the author, David. Let's talk about David for a minute because it's important to know the person who wrote this. This was a song. He sang it. He wrote it. He felt it. He was very transparent, right? Who is David? So many of you have heard about the story of David and Goliath, right? Everybody's aware of David and Goliath. And so I'm not going to get into any of those particular stories, but I just want you to think about how you can possibly relate to David, because this is someone who wrote something in the Bible. And many times we talk about the fact that we can't relate to things in the Bible. So let's talk about him for a minute. Number one, he was a shepherd. So he was familiar with a very humble life, right? He had a very humble life. He didn't work in this office in a suit and a tie. He was a protector over flocks, so he stood guard over protecting the flocks of sheep that he had. He fought Goliath due to the bravery that came from fighting off bears and lions. He wasn't trained in the military. He didn't know about the weapons. He didn't know about the armor. He didn't know about battle plans. All he knew was, I have sheep, and there's bears and lions coming after them. And so with his bare hands, he would go after those predators. And that's how he destroyed Goliath. That and then God who was on his side. He was coronated as king after being overlooked by his own father. I mean, get this. Talk about favoritism. 
Samuel says that he's going to make one of Jesse's sons king. And he tells Jesse to please bring all of your sons and one of them will be king. And Jesse, knowing that he has X, Y, and Z amount of sons, decides they're not going to choose David. They're just going to choose the taller one and the stronger one and the oldest one. So you know what? We'll just leave David right where he is. So not only did he like leave him in the back of the line, he literally left him in the fields with the sheep and brought all the rest of the sons and didn't even think that David was significant enough to come to the coronation. Well, God had a whole other thing to say about that because not only did they pass through all of the sons and Samuel said, it's not this one, but Samuel made them stand there and wait until David was brought before him. I don't know if that was days. I don't know if that was hours, but it definitely wasn't five minutes to get David from where he was to where Samuel was. But they stood there and they waited. And when David got there, Samuel said, this is the one, this is the next king. Not only did that happen, but then he was mentored by Saul and then betrayed by him. So we had this mentor who was the present king that was there to try to teach him the ropes and to get him ready to be a king. But Saul ended up resenting him and trying to kill him and betraying him. On top of which, he was a musician. He was a singer. He was a praiser. He also was a sinner. He was an adulterer. And he was a murderer. And at the end of the day, God said that he was a man after God's own heart. And so I'm just wondering, can you relate to any of that? Can we relate to any of that? I think we can. I think we can relate to not having a lot of money or having tons, being overlooked and rejected, being street smart or being politically smart, being betrayed by a mentor, and later by his own son he was betrayed. I think we can relate to making many, many mistakes. I think we can relate to mood swings because David had a lot of them. I think we can relate to the fact that there were days when God was so close to David that he could probably feel him breathe on his face and other days when he felt so far away from God and thought that God had completely abandoned and rejected him. I think all of us can relate to that. And most of all, I think it's important to know that David came before God in this particular psalm, and he was super transparent. If you read other psalms, he said things like, God, break the teeth of the wicked. This is, the, this is some of the prayers that he would pray. Or some of the things that he would say is, why are the wicked always prospering, and why am I left behind? Or days where he would just encourage himself. He would get himself out of the funk by praising God. Just like in this particular psalm where it says, why so downcast, O my soul? And in the song, it says, um, put your hope in God, bless the Lord, O my soul. So what he's saying is, I'm sad and I don't know why, but I've got to put my hope in God. That's key. I've got to put my hope in God because that's where I'm going to come to a place where I will increase joy. So what are some solutions Number one, prolonged sadness that persists can be a sign of a mental health issue and depression. So please seek a mental health provider for this because there needs to be treatment to be able to help you through this. 
Emotional sadness is like a sea of grief with no categories or descriptions and can be hard to sort through. So some solutions can be, number one, seeing if you can turn some of that sadness into anger. Remember from our episode on anger, anger can be very productive. So if you can get some of your sadness into anger, you can try to find some categories and some descriptions as to what you're really feeling. Avoid isolating. Drawing from a healthy support system. And if you don't have one, find one. Getting outside of yourself and doing something productive for others. And we're going to talk about that more in the next episode. Structure and purpose. I can't emphasize that enough. Not staying home with no structure, sleeping in, going to bed whenever. No, get yourself out of bed. If you're not working, go to the library for six hours and look for a job or set up a schedule for yourself. Be productive with different things. Structure and purpose is going to be key to getting you out of that funk. Exercising, I can't emphasize that enough. Getting that blood you know, moving and flowing, um, experiencing the five senses of being able to have smells and sounds and good, you know, worship music and calming music that can really help you and spiritual sadness, putting your hope in God, go back to that episode on hope. Um, her husband is old and she has no son. Go back to that one and restore hope again in God, meditating on God's love for you. And also it says that a garment of praise is there for a spirit of heaviness. And so if you're having that heaviness, thank God for everything he did. David said, I cannot recount all of the things that God has done for me. Thank you, God, for whatever, my health, my friends, my education, surviving the pandemic. If you start to do it, you're going to have a list that you cannot end because there's going to be so many things that you'll be able to recount that God will have done in your life and that will restore joy. Please tune in for the episode on happiness. Thank you so much. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.